Our text this morning can be found in your Pew Bibles in the New Testament on page 953, Gospel of Luke, chapter 16. We are about to read a parable that I have avoided for 15 years. Think Jesus meets Jeff Bezos meets Michael Scott from The Office meets Tony Soprano meets me and you. It's complicated, and it's hard to make sense of. There is some swindling and some lying and some backsliding and some firing. So buckle up, and let's listen to the word of the Lord. Then Jesus said to the disciples, There was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man, the manager, was squandering his property. So he summoned the manager and said to him, What is this that I hear about you? Give me an accounting of your management because you cannot be my manager any longer. Then the manager said to himself, What will I do now that my boss is taking the position away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I have decided to do, I've decided what to do so that when I'm dismissed as a manager, people may welcome me into their homes. So summoning his boss's debtors one by one, he asked the first, how much do you owe my boss? And he answered, a hundred jugs of olive oil. And he said to him, take your bill, sit down quickly and make it 50. Then he asked another, and how much do you owe? He replied, a hundred containers of wheat. He said to him, take your bill and make it 80. And his boss commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the children of this age are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than are the children of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of dishonest wealth, so that when it is gone, they may welcome you into the eternal homes. Whoever is faithful, in a very little, is faithful also in much. And whoever is dishonest in a very little, is dishonest also in much. If then you have not been faithful with the dishonest wealth, who will entrust you to the true riches? And if you have not been faithful with what belongs to another, who will give you what is your own? No one can serve two masters. For a servant will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all of this, and they ridiculed Jesus. So he said to them, You are those who justify yourselves in the sight of others, but God knows your hearts. For what is prized by humans is an abomination in the sight of God. May God bless the speaking and the hearing of God's holy word. Amen. Well, there you have it. From Jesus' lips to our ears, managing money, talking about money, navigating our finances with integrity, borrowing, lending, investing, buying, selling, earning, and managing people, and owning stuff is not as simple as it seems, especially if we hope to stay true and honest in our faith. To summarize what went down, New Testament scholar Richard Vinson aptly names the characters Mr. Big, 
who owned a vast farmland and other properties, and his manager, whom we will call Roscoe. Huge contracts with tenants and other workers required oversight, and Roscoe had been slacking on the job. Eventually, of course, someone rats out Roscoe to Mr. Big, and they accused him of broadcasting all of Mr. Big's goods as if they were his to squander in waste. And of course, upon hearing the news, Mr. Big would want to take a look at the books. And quickly we learn that Mr. Big is not the sharpest tack in the box. First of all, he's quick to believe gossip about his employee before he actually talks to Roscoe. And secondly, everybody knows that you don't fire a guy like Roscoe until after you have the books in your hands. Mr. Big is out of touch and quick to condemn. But the parasite, Roscoe, he's no better. He's gotten too big for his britches, and now that he's been caught, he refuses to work as hard as any of the tenant farmers, and yet he also cannot imagine himself begging. Poor Roscoe manipulates the entire situation. Aha, he says, I will cut the debts, so after I'm fired at least, I will still have access to all of the contractors and vendors. So one by one, they are summoned. One by one, they meet with Roscoe, and one by one, Roscoe confronts them. How much do you owe Mr. Big? Well, you've got the book right in front of you, Roscoe. You tell me. With the bead of sweat forming on his lip, he asks, are you calling in the loan because I own a hundred jugs of oil? Instead, Roscoe says, quick, take your bill. Cross out the 100 and write 50 instead. One after one, contract after contract, 100 vats of grain, make it 80. 20 jugs of wine, make it 10. 15 sheep, make it 12. By the time Roscoe is all done, all of Mr. Big's tenants and contractors were extremely happy. And this is where things get a little bit sticky. Wealth, you see, was pretty important to Mr. Big, but so was his honor and his reputation. This would have been a tremendous loss of wealth, but what was he supposed to do? He had two choices, you see. He could either admit that Roscoe had pulled a fast one on him, and he would seem like a tightwad, or he could let the entire thing slide and take credit for being incredibly generous and prestigious. And so he chooses the latter. To be clear, Mr. Big is not being compared to God in this parable. Instead of losing his marbles on the guy, he commends him. He's not commended for his honesty or his goodness, but for his chutzpah, his shrewdness, his trickery. Roscoe pulled a fast one on Mr. Big, and Mr. Big knew it. So in order to save face, Roscoe gets a rather ambiguous employment recommendation from Mr. Big, and Mr. Big comes out smelling like a rose because the contractors and the tenants all think it was his idea. And the folks who were living in extreme debt due to inflation and predatory interest rates and a system designed to reward the wealthiest 1% catch a much-needed break. And so here we have a story that is a little more familiar than we'd like to admit, huh? I mean, what's the problem? Roscoe helps the poor. 
He forgives the debts. He scatters the rich man's stuff. And yes, he looks out for number one along the way. I'm not sure it's what Jesus would do, but it is what Michael Scott would do. Maybe it raises more questions than answers. Now you all know why I haven't preached on this in 15 years. What's the moral? Where's the hope and the encouragement in this parable? What sort of good news do we find here? None of this exemplifies the values and commitments and practices of God's reign. And yet all of us live complicated lies. We live within a free market that's morally ambiguous. It's capitalistic, and it requires us to make intelligent, ethical decisions with our resources of time and talent and relationships. You know, money struggles are real for all of us. And sometimes they're stressful, and sometimes they're debilitating, and sometimes they're unfair. Gas prices, grocery prices, rent, health care, child care, I know I'm preaching to the choir. And yet I'm not so sure why the church hates to talk about money so much. Either we're afraid of offending each other, or worse yet, we're afraid of being offended but it is the most common theme in all of Jesus' teachings, and it's the number one conflict in marriages. How many bank accounts? Who decides about the money? Who has access to the money? Who spends the money? How do we carry debt? What about cars and schools and insurance and rent and school loans and health care costs? How much money do we give away? And, oh, what about that Target bill, honey? But Jesus doesn't condone rich people. There's no shame in having money. Jesus is simply interested in what we do with it once we have it. You see, this isn't a parable about money. It's a parable about loyalty. It's a story about passion in our hearts. And as Jesus puts it, God already knows your heart. And so only you can decide how to be a good steward of your many responsibilities and resources. Only you will know how to function with integrity and faithfulness as a manager or an owner or a contracted employee or a citizen or someone trying to manage a household with money and time and attention and relationships to share. One thing's clear about this text. God does not condone our enslavement to wealth. Our decisions in the marketplace, in the workplace, they matter to God and they matter to other people because we are stakeholders in God's kingdom. We are builders and managers and contractors of God's kingdom on earth right now and together we have agency and power to do God's bidding in a good and loving and transformative way. But when our priorities are out of whack, when we're serving ourselves and our wealth and our fears and our pursuits of perfection or social status or even our bad habits, there's very little time or money or spiritual resources left for us to pursue God's loyalty to the poor and the oppressed and the marginalized. Friday afternoon, I ran by Montclair Elementary School to help out with an enrichment being offered by greater enrichment programs. A fourth grader, who I will call Diego, 
ran to me from the middle of the gym floor and asked me to hold his glasses while he participated in the activity. I took them and I noticed that the lenses were extremely scratched. And so I held them up to my own eyes and realized that it was utterly impossible to see through them. I asked our GEP coordinator about Diego's glasses and she explained his family had been through some tough transitions. And then she walked me through the real challenges. Single parent, other parent out of the country, another sibling, new job, minimum wage, language barrier, no car, find an eye doctor, make the appointment, pay for the eye exam, miss work to go to the eye exam, take the bus, get the new prescription, order the glasses, find a way to pick up the glasses, find a way to pay for the glasses. I'm not sure what we're going to do about Diego's glasses, but I do know it's going to take some time and some attention and some compassion and patience and trust and some money. And I'm also pretty sure as long as he has some glasses that work, it won't matter how he got them. But here's the good news. The good news is that God knows our hearts and God will work with whatever God's got. Roscoe, Mr. Big, me, you, sweet Diego, his courageous mom, and the tireless teachers at Montclair and GEP. Thanks be to God for that. Amen. Let us continue to worship as we go to God in prayer. Lord, every day presents us with new opportunities to give you thanks and praise. We open our eyes to new adventures and give you thanks for your gift of life, love, and service to others. The gift of life is not to be taken for granted but is to be celebrated and shared with others in Christian fellowship. Your love exceeds all understanding and is unconditional and forever. Guide us, Lord, in being your disciples who graciously share that love with everyone and all things that we encounter. We thank you, Lord, for this church, its members, and its friends. Your church, Lord, is what holds us together as Christian activists in your call of love and service. Without the opportunity to gather in your holy name, we could be easily led astray. We pray, Lord, that we will be constantly grounded in your path of righteousness and in your church. Today, Lord God, we welcome another into your Christian family through the sacrament of baptism. We did so by promising as one people to love and support the family as they prepare little Whitney for a life of love, fellowship with your church. Holy One, we lift up those countries that are suffering from unwarranted aggression by others and the citizenry that are dealing with situations too painful for us to imagine. We pray for those countries that oppress their own citizens and force them 
into hiding so that they can worship the one true creator God. We pray for their change of heart. And as we pray for all humanity and world, let us not forget to pray for our home, Mother Earth. Guide us, Lord, in seeking ways to repair the damage that we have inflicted, and instruct us, Lord, on how we can keep from repeating this destructive nature. You, Lord God, created earth and all things on the earth, and you called it good. Let us be mindful of those words. God of peace and comfort, we pray for those in this congregation, their families and friends, and friends of friends who are preparing for or who are recovering from surgery. We lift up those families who are dealing with a diagnosis that causes fear and uncertainty. And of course, Lord, we, are deep, we pray deeply for the families who are dealing with the loss of a loved one as we pray for Tom Moore's family. We know, Lord, that your presence can bring comfort to those who are hurting and peace to those who are fearful. We are so, so very thankful for your love and your grace. And now, Lord, let us clear our minds and open our hearts as we listen to the words of the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples by saying as one family, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Friends, here at Selwyn Avenue Presbyterian Church, there are many ways that we give back to God for the gracious gift that he has given us. Some of us, my generation, look in wonder when they say you can give by texting or giving online. But we offer many opportunities to support the church and the missions that this church upholds. And rest assured, we will not be a Roscoe or Mr. Big with your gifts. So now, let us graciously and humbly give back to God what God has so graciously given us.
us pray together. Gracious God, source of our daily bread and Sabbath trust, you feed us with your love and equip us to share in your purpose. Receive the offerings of our wounded spirits, our guarded purses, our meager strength, and continue to expand our hearts until we live with boldness and joy of Easter morning. We pray in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. And let us continue to worship as we sing together hymn number three, excuse me, 697. until we meet again. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, now and forevermore. Amen. Mm -hmm. 